Gentlemen, are you living your holy hour? Stay faithful to it. Yesterday, on October the 4th, 2023, we had two momentous events happen in the Catholic Church. First is that our Holy Father, Pope Francis, published his new apostolic exhortation, Laudate Deum. I would strongly encourage you to read it. We should always be eager to read the words of our Holy Father. But also, there began in Rome the Synod on Synodality. As we know, three previous stages have already taken place. There's been a diocesan stage of the Synod on Synodality, a national one, a continental one. They are all complete. What began yesterday was the first of the two global stages, or Roman stages, of the Synod. The first stage will be completed this month on October the 28th, and the second stage will take place in October of 2024. Now, much ink or pixels on a screen will be spilt or spent I'm not quite sure what the verb is for pixels on a screen, but there's going to be a lot of stuff written about what's going to happen in the next several weeks. So many people will be writing about who said what and what it all means. I hate to disappoint you. I'm not going to talk about that. What I do want to talk about today is the person at the heart of the Synod on Synodality and his ministry and our love for him and our faith in the necessity of the Petrine ministry. I think it's time to kind of step back a little bit. Step back from all the commentators, which will be interesting. Step back from all of the comments and to deepen our faith in the Petrine office and renew what all Catholics ought to have, especially seminarians and priests, and that is a love for the Holy Father, no matter who he is. St. Catherine of Siena, who saw some very interesting popes in her time, would call the pope il doce Cristo in terra. In Italian, that means sweet Christ on earth. Think about that for a moment, especially in her times. The pope is the sweet Christ on earth. He is the successor of Peter and Christ's vicar. He's given by Christ himself the ministry of strengthening the brethren, of promoting unity, of feeding the sheep, of keeping the keys. These are not temporary or historically conditioned qualities of a particular person at a particular time, but they're trans-historical, they're trans-cultural, and they're characteristics of a priest, of a Petrine ministry in the church 
willed by Christ until the end of time. That is what we believe as Catholics. And that is why we have a love and devotion to the Holy Father. Pope St. Paul VI, in 1969, stood before the World Council of Churches. And so he has in front of him all of these representatives of Christian churches from throughout the world. And he introduced himself by saying this in Italian. Eccoci, dunque in mezzo a voi, il nostro nome è Pietro. So here we are among you. Our name is Peter. Imagine that. 1969. In front of all the Christian churches. Here's Peter. Here he is in front of you. Like the apostles, we need to understand and certainly affirm our belief in the service of Peter as an instrument of unity, as given by Christ and lived in the early church and throughout the church's history. A ministry for the church until the end of time, willed by Christ. Pastor Dabavobis, a great document on priestly formation by Pope St. John Paul II, said that there can be no genuine priestly ministry except in communion with the Supreme Pontiff and the Episcopal College, especially with one's own diocesan bishop who deserves that filial respect and obedience promised during the rite of ordination. And you know, gentlemen, while the person of the Pope throughout history has not always been the best example of Christian living, Once again, St. Catherine of Siena knew all about that. There can be no genuine communion within the Catholic Church without communion with the Pope and without our own filial love and respect for his office and his ministry. So the person at the center of this new apostolic exhortation and this synod on synodality is Pope Francis, the present Peter among us. We must not forget that. Even with all of the commentators now beginning to to sharpen their pencils or, I don't know, their fingers. I don't know. There are many good personal qualities that I think are not the basis or foundation for our love and respect for the Holy Father, but I think we can look at our present Holy Father and see some things that can challenge us and help us be better, better Christians, better seminarians, better future priests. And that's what I want to mention today. That's what I want to talk a little bit about today. And I I, I really consider these qualities really in three different categories. His simplicity of life, his desire to acquire the smell of the sheep, and his constant effort to reach the peripheries. So these three qualities, I think, are important for us as well, to live a simplicity of life, to acquire the smell of the sheep and see what that means, and also to reach the peripheries. It's essential for every priest. The first is simplicity of life. Now yesterday, which is my own kind of personal custom, on the Feast of St. Francis, I took a look at the things that I own. 
And I have two bookcases in my room that are filled with books. And I ask myself the question, do I need all of this stuff? What's really essential and what's not? I've yet to go through, and I will, my closet and my drawers. Every year I think it's a good idea. What do I really need? And what might be a little bit too much? We need to reject the paradigm of consumerism in our society and radically live a simplicity of life. I think that especially as Americans, our faithful should look to us as priests and say, now there is a man who lives simplicity, detachment, poverty, as a diocesan priest. Pope Francis puts it this way in that first encyclical, Laudato Si. We have to reject a culture which prioritizes short-term gain and private interest. Because if we're prioritizing these things, it leaves people thinking that they're free as long as they have the supposed freedom to consume. Freedom is defined simply by what I can consume, and that's not true freedom. For it's always a freedom for, freedom for love. Our hearts are never satisfied, and you and I, as seminarians, as priests, we need to be, if you will, icons of a restless heart, a heart that is not attached to things of this world, so that we can proclaim clearly in our lives that there is a world to come that will satisfy. Our lives need to reject that bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. Right? That's not our motto. If anything, you could say, he who dies with the least toys wins. Naked I come forth from my mother's room and naked I return. Consumerism in our society, particularly in our American culture, is a sign of a growing narcissism because it is all about me, fulfilling my desires, what makes me comfortable, what I want. Thus, the emptier a person's heart is, the more he or she needs to buy things to own and to consume. Our hearts aren't empty, our hearts are filled with the love of God. We don't need to fill that with things. This isn't easy, of course, to live a simplicity of life. A lot of challenges in our society, and it affects us all. It does involve a bit of carrying of the cross to live a simplicity of life, a bit of suffering. One of my heroes, St. Jose Maria Escrivá, used to say, you don't love poverty, if you don't love what poverty brings. So we can say we love poverty, but when it comes down to living it, it can really hurt sometimes, right? We don't have all of those comforts. As a matter of fact, we, we, we choose not to have them, and that's not easy. That can hurt. So we need to do a good examination of conscience. Am I dependent too much on things? Do I have more than I need? What happens when things break? That's a good sign. And I don't have, or I don't have what I need. Do I get all upset? 
Am I all anxious because something's not working quite right? Do I get angry? And why not, why could we not accept more simpler things in our life? A simpler, I don't know, room in the seminary. Simpler food and drink. A simpler place to go for a restaurant. A simpler piece of clothing. It's not quite as expensive, but, but good. These questions can help us live a simpler life. And above all, I think we, today's society, we all need to take a look at how we're living in our relationship with technology. Because technology can cause us to get this kind of consumeristic uh, mentality. Amazon is only one you know, icon away. You push on the phone and you're buying things. But technology itself can also cause us to live a, a less simple life, a more complicated and consumeristic society. And so we have to practice temperance in all things, but particularly when these days, uh, a kind of what, what some theologians are calling a digital temperance, a digital temperance to live a simplicity of light. Some theologians say this. They said, in light of these revisions, we propose a new species of temperance called digital temperance. Digital temperance is the virtue that regulates appetites for pleasures related to digital technology and finds the virtuous mean between what it calls, what they call digital overindulgence, the vice of excess, and digital insensitivity, the vice of deficiency. Meaning we, we have to use technology, obviously, but where is that mean? Importantly, the subject matter for this virtue is not digital technology per se, but the appetite for pleasures. Those appetites that are associated with digital technology. This specification explains why our argument is focused not on whether digital technology is morally good, because that's not the question, whether it's morally neutral or bad generally, but on whether and how we enjoy the pleasure of its use. Digital temperance is a great way to live simplicity of life. And that gives us so much freedom, gentlemen. If we're living this simplicity of life, we have a freedom that we don't that, that many of our of our contemporaries don't have. Our simple life, a simple car, clothing, decoration of our room, office, food and drink selections, it communicates to people very clearly, especially in a parish. It says, Father is not picky, right? It's discouraging when I hear that people know all about Father's, you know, expensive tastes. They know the fine restaurant he goes to. That means that possibly my brother priest is not living very well simplicity of life. It makes us much more approachable, however, when we live this simplicity of life. Because they realize that Father has temperance in his life. He's living a life like Christ. And it does allow us to be much more apostolic. Because we're not attached to things of this world. 
Now, once I was, I was told that there was a priest who did not want to move from one assignment to the other because it was too far from his dog's grooming place. Right? Maybe there's a problem there, Father. Um, and maybe it's the dog that's too attached to the place. I don't know. <laughs> Simplicity of life, very important. The second aspect of our Holy Father's own life that can help us not only love him in a more personal way, but can help us live our lives a little bit better, he puts a great emphasis on what he calls acquiring the smell of the sheep, right? So that rejects the motto that sometimes we hear, you know, my, at ordination my, my hands are made for chalices, not calluses, right? I'm just, I'm, that's, all it's, that's all it's, now, of course, your hands are made for the chalice and the patent. Obviously, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing hard work, right? We're not ordained to live in an ivory tower. The incarnation itself, God becoming man, bids us to imitate and to image his very coming. So we draw near to our flock with prudence and with love. We reject that mentality that I can only do certain things in certain ministries or certain places, and I can only work with certain people. That's a disaster in the priesthood. Niche priesthood. It leads to a lot of unhappiness and certainly makes it difficult for the bishop to assign a priest anywhere. We have certain likes and dislikes. That's true. But in order to acquire the smell of the sheep, we have to go where we're not always comfortable, meet people that we don't always like, do things that we don't always want to do. In November of 1993, my bishop called me in and said, so if you were to go and study something in theology, what would it be? I said, systematic theology but I'm not very good at languages. And my bishop said, I want you to go to Spain and then Rome and study moral theology. I said, thank you, bishop. I'm on my way. (laughs) It doesn't always happen that we get what we want, but in order for us to serve people, no matter where they are or who they are, we have to overcome sometimes our own likes and dislikes. Acquiring the smell of the sheep also, it seems to me, uh, according to some of the words of the Holy Father, it means also to have mercy, to live a mercy toward others. Our relationship with others should should be characterized by mercy. Our Lord himself says, go and learn what it means I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous but sinners. So we are friends of sinners as our Lord himself was. And the smell of the sheep is, in some way, the smell of sin. Sin We are sinners ourselves. So reaching out and being very intentional about a ministry of mercy is a way to acquire the smell of the sheep. You know that that sheep, and I I used to, when I was a kid, we used to raise sheep through the the summer and slaughter them and eat them in the winter. But um, sheep are bothered by flies a lot. And the shepherd has to come along and anoint them, right? In the past, it was an oil that they would pour on their head. Why? To to keep the flies away. 
These flies were attracted by the smell of the sheep, the bad smell of the sheep. And they would then attempt to lay their eggs in the nasal passages of the sheep. And when they would hatch, the worms would burrow into the sheep's head and brain, causing great irritation and inflammation. But the oil keeps the flies at bay. And that oil for the sheep of God's flock is the ministry of mercy, particularly that of the confessional. The flies are the vices and the sins which afflict the flock. But we reach out to be close to including the smell of the sheep so that they can receive God's anointing of forgiveness and mercy. Our Holy Father, Pope Francis, put it this way once in 2013. Jesus' attitude is striking. We do not hear the words of scorn. We do not hear words of condemnation, but only words of love, of mercy, which are an invitation to conversion. Neither do I condemn you. Go and do not sin again. Ah, brothers and sisters, God's face is the face of a merciful Father who is always patient. Have you thought about God's patience, the patience he has with each of us? That is his mercy. He always has patience, patience with us. He understands us. He waits for us. He does not tire forgiving us. Indeed, my brothers, mercy is the true source of hope for the world. And that's part of getting to know the smell of the sheep. Finally, Our Holy Father exhorts us to reach out to the peripheries. At the beginning of his papacy, he put it this way. We must get out of ourselves and go toward the periphery. We must avoid the spiritual disease of the church that can become self-referential. When this happens, the church itself becomes sick. It's true that accidents can happen when you go out into the street, as can happen to any man or woman. But if the church remains closed unto itself, self-referential, it grows old. And these peripheries, of course, include the materially poor and the marginalized. My exhortation to you is, don't be afraid of the poor. They are close to God. And if we want to draw close to him, we should see him, find him in the poor. And sometimes that's difficult. I remember when I was a seminarian, two other of my classmates and I were assigned to North Philadelphia. And we would bring communion to some of the parishioners. One of them was Mr. Goodman. Mr. Goodman years earlier had had a pretty serious stroke And the whole left side of his body was practically useless. And he would sit in his small little apartment with his wife all day long. We'd arrive, and his wife just ignored us. I don't even know whether she was Catholic. I don't even remember a word that she ever spoke to us. But we would immediately sit down with Mr. Goodman, and he was always filled with joy and thanksgiving. The phrase that we kept hearing from him almost constantly was, thank God. Thank God for this. Thank God for that. Thank God that you've come here. Thank God that you've brought the Lord to me. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. His apartment was a mess. 
It was just awful, smelly, terrible. But there was a saint, I think, among us. There he was in the peripheries, poor, uh, sick, and yet Christ was there. This comes in many different forms in our parish life. There are materially poor, physically, emotionally, spiritually poor. But like St. Paul, we must do all that we can to remember the poor, the very thing he was eager to do, as he tells us in Galatians. These peripheries include what I would call existential peripheries, too. People without the faith, or who don't know Christ. Evangelizing presupposes a desire in the church to come out of herself, our Holy Father says. The church is called to come out of herself and go to the peripheries, not only geographically, but also, he says, to the existential peripheries. The mystery of sin, of pain, of injustice, of ignorance, of indifference to religion, of intellectual occurrence, and of all misery. We know that there are people in our world and in our parishes who deny the objectivity of truth. Those in the state of sin and are unrepentant, proclaiming it proudly. Those who oppose the doctrine of the church and clamor for changes that cannot change. Those who put God himself on the peripheries. Yet those are the very people that we ought to see as our flock too. And our mission as well, to reach out to the peripheries, as our Holy Father exhorts us to do. He has done so in so many ways in his papacy. We too can follow in his footsteps. So finally, gentlemen, love for the Holy Father is essential to being a Catholic, let alone a seminarian and priest. It's also a pressing pastoral task. We need to have more and more loving our Holy Father. Centuries ago, St. Ambrose once said, Ubi Petrus, Ibi Ecclesia. Where Peter is, there the church is. The Pope, no matter who he is, is a permanent and visible source and foundation of unity as Vatican II says. And as Catholics, we rely on his ministry and love him as our shepherd. There is a pressing pastoral need and task for the new evangelization, demanding priests who are deeply and fully immersed in the mystery of Christ, Pope John Paul II says, and capable of embodying a new style of pastoral life marked by a profound communion with the Pope. Is our pastoral style going to be one marked by the profound communion with the Pope? Let's ask Our Lady. Our Lady, who had a deep love for Peter, the very Peter who denied her son three times. And we ask her to help us to love our Holy Father, no matter who he might be. And understand truly that the church needs men, it needs priests of the Pope, and love him as she loved.